Hey, it's Jay. And there's a bunch of thoughts that I've had throughout my career where I look longingly at what someone else is doing. Maybe it's an individual. More often, it's this looming specter, a type of person that I know exists. And I think, wouldn't it be great if? You know, for example, in my early 20s, wouldn't it be great if me, the A-type, have to get the good grades, join the clubs and the join the teams type person, if I could just kind of drift? I always looked at some of my friends who were drifting and trying things and traveling and not a real career path or intent to their name. And wouldn't it be great if I could be like that? Or, or wouldn't it be great if I could just uh, go get a job, not really care about how I do in that job, just be content, putting in the work enough to get by, maybe get promoted once in a while, but ultimately just clock out at five, maybe even nudge that up to four, go home and not think about work ever again. Neither of those things are me. I just, I can't get there. Here's another example. There's a type of show out there that skips some of the prep work, skips most of the post. And I don't really understand how some people do this well, because it's just not me. I mean, maybe I'm kind of mimicking it in this intro right now. I I don't know. That type of show is the monologue. One person, you don't have to schedule guests. You skip a lot of the craziness. You don't have to do a lot of narration afterwards, a lot of post-production, a lot of music and sound design. All the things that, you know, I love in podcasting, you don't do. You just write something good and then you read it. And wouldn't it be great to do a show like that? Here's the thing. I understand that the people who don't have a career path and don't seem to have a plan probably suffer from their own versions of stress. I understand that the people who have a day job at a large corporation where they just clock in and clock out have their own problems. I also understand that making a show that's simply a monologue, a straight read from one voice without a lot of the bells and whistles, I understand that there's something about that that's hard. It's not as easy as it looks. So why don't we talk to a show that's been running for a while now that does just that to learn not only what it takes to do a show like that, but to do a show like that that people love. I want to know how to do the things to do A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you This is Three Clips Welcome, welcome to Three Clips, an original series from Castos. I'm your host, Jay Aconzo. On this show, podcasters take us inside the best work they've done on their shows a few little pieces at a time. Today, we're talking to Joe Polizzi, who, where to begin? He's one of the most prolific content creators I know. He's also a bit of a legend in the marketing world because he helped distribute this word, content marketing, through the creation of his business, Content Marketing Institute. Today, he's now building a second business called The Tilt, which helps content creators turn into content entrepreneurs. Joe is the Amazon bestselling author of several books, including Killing Marketing and Epic Content Marketing. He also wrote his first novel not too long ago called The Will to Die, which was awarded the best suspense book of 2020 by the National Indie Excellence Awards. And Joe also is rewriting or publishing a second edition of his great book for entrepreneurs and creatives called Content Inc. That drops in May of 2021. He's founded four different companies and is currently focused on The Tilt. He also hosts a co-hosted podcast with his buddy Robert Rose called This Old Marketing. It's one of the most popular marketing shows on the planet. Robert has actually been a guest on three clips. 
And lastly, Joe runs The Orange Effect, which delivers speech therapy and technology services to children who need it in over 35 states in the U.S. So he's a philanthropist as well. Today, we go inside the making of his monologue series, his short-form podcast, just five-minute episodes every Monday, all built for content creators and content entrepreneurs, the name of which is the same as his book, Content Inc. So let's meet our guest, Joe Polizzi. I think the best place to start, because your show format is really different than anything we've profiled before, is... What does this short form monologue podcast allow you to do creatively or for your business that, you know, you have another show, This Old Marketing with Robert Rose. We had Robert on the show ages ago. That's an that's a chat cast. That's a co-hosted show. Three Clips is an interview show. So again, we haven't had the short form monologue show profiled on this pod yet. What does that allow you to do that maybe other shows do not? Well, first of all, it gets Robert out of my way so that I don't. <laughs> I have to share the stage with him, <laughs> which is obviously this old marketing is a much different show uh, where we cover the news and banter. Content Inc. is an opportunity. First of all, Content Inc. was just started as a book promotion in 2014, 2015. That was, the, that was why we did it. I was launching a new book called Content Inc. I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be a good idea if we actually launched a podcast companion with it? And at that time, I launched two podcasts per week. There were five to seven minute episodes per week. And I just started going, building an audience there. And then after the book, I didn't plan on maintaining it, but I started to build an audience. I'm like, okay, well, let's just keep going. And it gave me the opportunity to just talk for three to seven minutes on my feelings on a key topic. And, you know, I, I, I do have the benefit of being in the content creation business for well over 20 years now. Right. And I've learned a few things and I have a list. I mean, I keep a list of here's all the things I wish somebody told me 20 years ago. And so then I have that list and then I write the episode out first and then of course produce the episode and then, and then go ahead and, and read it, but not, not like I'm reading it. So hopefully, I mean, you tell me, hopefully it comes across like I'm having a conversation with you. It, so. it's, it's become really casual. It's one of the hardest things. I'm sure you'd agree as a podcaster, you know, if someone is the type of human to put a microphone in front of their face in general, they're not going to have talkers block. That's, that's not a problem, but it can be really difficult to do a read and sound natural. That that's so true. What what's helped me, but I mean, I just got off of recording uh, 10 hours of content ink, the audio book. Which, as you know, uh, yeah, been there. Audiobook recording is excruciating, and you get into this rhythm uh, that can be stale. And what I always I think of one content creator that I'm talking to. It helps with the podcast too. Just one, almost like Anne Hanley does with her newsletter, Anarchy. She yeah. says I always write to one person. If I am communicating the podcast to one person, because obviously, you know, you as you know, you interview most podcasts have either guests or a co-host. If you're by yourself, you can kind of be too insulated. So I'm trying to think of, okay, I'm going to talk to Jay today. Of course, that'll make me smile because, you know, you just, you're a goofball. So we're like, great. We'll start talking to Jay. What can I talk to Jay about? All right. So now that the audience has a chance to meet you, Let's get into the dissection of your show, Content Inc. 
what was once the companion show for your book is helping relaunch the second edition of your book this spring, this this May, I believe, right? And uh, and so, but it's become so much more. And so we'll talk about how it's become so much more. And we do the same deconstruction style every single episode. So just as a refresher for people listening, um, the first thing we're going to do is look at three clips each of which speaks to an important show development approach or, or piece of the process. A clip about your premise, the overall idea driving the show and your conceit, your hook into that idea, the uh, the format or the experience. So we'll play a clip about that and how you structure and deliver the content and make it irresistible for listeners. And then the connection that you develop with your audience. So in other words, you, the talent and the host. So we found a clip about that as well. And in our fourth segment, we're going to leave the clips behind and talk about looking ahead for the show and what you're learning or trying next. And as a reminder to you, the listener, stick around until after the credits where Joe is going to shout out a podcast that is not at the top of the charts that he'd like to show some love for and he thinks you should listen to as well. All right. So let's get into the first segment about your show's premise. The premise of the show, and Joe, I think you'll agree, you're running a whole organization called The Tilt. And I know from Content Inc., the book, The Tilt is something I, I feel like a lot of content creators, content entrepreneurs, strategists, showrunners overlook. I think we, we all fail in some ways to develop a piece of the overall creative, which is not the topics, that's obvious, but it's the angle into it. It's the hook, it's the conceit, or what you call the tilt. The premise is where you do that on a podcast. It, it's why people subscribe. It's not the topics you cover, it's how you explore them. And that's what makes it your, your own. If we white labeled it, how do we know it's yours? So we want to get into a clip here that speaks to the overall premise of your show because there's lots of shows about entrepreneurship and even lots of shows about you know content creation, content marketing, content forward businesses. And there's sort of flavors of every topic you're covering on other shows, but you're able to articulate it in such a way that you're like, oh, this is actually an original despite the topical coverage elsewhere. I can't get this angle into it like I can on Joe's show. So let's go to a clip that speaks to your premise. Hi. I'm Joe Polizzi, and this is the Content Inc. Podcast. Five minutes every Monday for content creators who desire to be content entrepreneurs. Terms are important. I've always believed that. Back in the early 2000s, I was selling custom magazines to senior-level marketers. The term for this industry at the time was custom publishing. Trying to sell custom publishing to a marketer was near impossible. The term just didn't speak to them. So, I found a better term, content marketing, to describe what I did. The floodgates opened. Marketers were now interested in talking to me simply because I called it something different. Today, Content marketing has become the industry term. Terms are important. So, Joe, this felt like a stake in the ground episode. It was episode 272 where we talked about, or you talked about the rise of the content entrepreneur. And it felt like one of those episodes or one of those things you'd publish or say publicly where you're, you're planting a flag. Um, talk to me about the importance of defining not just your show, but I think overall your entire focus with all your projects in, in the way that you did in this episode. Well, you know the process a little bit because as I was struggling with the term, I texted you a few times <laughs> for some guidance. 
I was looking for the new content marketing for content creators. It's interesting you play that episode. That is the episode that defines the entire business and mission moving forward for me and the tilt. Because what I found, and I think you you would agree with this, content creator or content creation is different than content entrepreneurship and building an actual business behind it or the difference between a hobby and a business, let's say. A lot of content creators out there doing a great job, having a good time, making a little money on a hobby, which is fine if that's what they want. But a lot of those hobbyists right now, content creators, want to build a business. I'm trying to figure out what the term is. I've struggled with it. You and I had a whole email conversation about, okay, are, what are we? Are we part of the creator economy? Are we <laughs> part of the passion economy? I've got issues with both of those. We can get into that if you want. But I, it doesn't, I can't say to somebody, oh, I'm part of the passion economy. I don't know what that means. I'm part of the creator economy. What do I sell things on Etsy? Like, I don't know. I can't get my arms around this, but I'm an entrepreneur. And how do I run my business? I run my business by creating valuable content and building an audience through that. Sure does feel like a content entrepreneur. Sure does feel like something that if I talk to you or I talk to another content creator and say I'm a content entrepreneur, they would immediately get it. And by the way, they do for the most part. When you tell another content creator that you're a content entrepreneur, they, they say, oh, you're trying to create content for a living. You're trying to build a business. And, and what you've called in a lot of the, the middle class of creators, let's say, which I think right. is an important distinction. They don't really well, def- get to find that quickly because not everybody listening maybe is from that world. It, that's so native to how I think and what I'm building as a solo you know, content creator. And by the way, that's how I've had to describe it for years and years. It's like I'm, so, I'm a solo content creator. I'm a freelancer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a multi-hyphenate creator on and on and on. Like what I actually have distilled it down to is just I'm a writer. And if you want to ask more, great. But I'm, I'm a writer. Oh, what do you write? Well, I write this and that and that and shows and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so saying content entrepreneur to me rem- not only reminds me of the two jobs I have, create awesome product and build this business like an entrepreneur, but it also, yeah, gives me that ability to define myself to others, which opens up opportunities. Oh, you should talk to so-and-so because I get what you do. So so anyways, but before we go down this, this rabbit hole of talking about this industry, I just want to zoom out. Um, what did you mean there by the middle class of content creators or content entrepreneurs? Well, you know more about this than me because I first heard the term from you. And you were talking about the importance of this as in, this is how I take it. You have the Joe Rogans of the world. You have the PewDiePie's of the world, the big Mr. Beast these elite creators that hit on something amazing at just the right time. Everything was perfect, had all kinds of things going for them. And when people think of, oh, I want to be a YouTuber. Oh, well, what do they think of? They think of the Mr. Beats, the PewDiePie's of the world, the, the ninjas on Twitch. That's what they think of, which is of course attainable, but they're the one percenters. They're the billionaires today, right? They're the, when you think about money, I want to, I want to make a lot of money. Do you think about Elon Musk, who, you know, almost has a trillion dollars in net worth or whatever he has now, or do you think about, you know, I want to make a really good living for my family? 
that's what I'm thinking about when I think about the middle class of content yep. creation. I'm not thinking about a billion or a million plus dollars. I'm thinking of if I follow this model and do this really well and build a loyal audience, I can actually be financially independent. Yep. That's where I want this content entrepreneurship to go. And that's why that podcast was so important. I, I think the more that content entrepreneurs feel like this is what I do. Right. It's a thing. Right. I can do this for a living. I don't have to do a side hustle, which I hate that term. I, I can actually I can actually create content for a living and support my family and all is right with the world. And that's what we're trying to do. And this to me, to to you, the listener, what Joe did was raise his hand and say, there's something broken or missing or underexplored or ill-defined in this community and sent up a flare to the world saying, I'm putting the stake in the ground. That's the better analogy. And that was the episode we're profiling today. I'm putting a stake in the ground. Let's call it this, right? And that was built over time. It wasn't you coming up with that idea. Like you said, we talked, you talked to other people, you put out content, you pressure tested this, you got feedback, validation, and critiques to make it what it is, which is a definable term that can help other people coalesce the community with you you're not alone, but you're the first to raise your hand and say, let's go this way, or maybe this is something that we need. And to, to you, the listener, as podcasters, we're doing that for our communities with our shows, but I don't think we stop long enough and actually try to define what it is we're doing for the community. And so if we can define why we're in this business, why we're creating our show, if we can raise our hands or send up that flare, it's amazing how much better the show gets and grows because people go, oh my gosh, thank you. You're speaking to my soul. I want to get into now the experience of your show. So we're going to move on to the next segment. So a great premise is a great start. And I think a premise is purpose. Uh, not only for you, it helps focus you and make decisions easier, things like that. But for the audience, the premise provides motivation to subscribe, right? You're speaking to my soul, like I said, or yes, this is absolutely for me. I I've referred people to podcasts I had yet to listen to because the premise spoke to me. And instantly I was like, Joe, you got to check this out. It's remember that conversation. So the premise provides motivation to subscribe, but what about motivation to stay? Why would people stick around once they opt in? Because that's where the relationship forms. That's where the good stuff happens for your show and your business and your audience. That's where you need to provide a great experience. And so we pulled out a clip uh, that speaks to the experience of your show. It's, again, pretty straightforward. We talked about it, short form monologue. So I think we all kind of get it, um, but there are certain things that you do in it that make it a great experience. And so in this clip, uh, I think we have some signs that you you are intentional with crafting your format, with crafting your episodes. Let's go to the clip. Regardless of whether you like creator economy or passion economy, a problem still exists for the content creator asked, how do I describe what I do or who I am? Do you say, I'm a part of the creator economy? No one would say that. And if you say content creator, what exactly does that mean? Does that include every 8 to 12-year-old kid that creates a YouTube video or has done a few TikToks? If a content creator is someone who creates content and works to generate money from that content, what is a content creator who starts and builds a business around that concept? So, Joe, one of the things I noticed there, and, you know, as a public speaker, as an author, as a prolific blogger and now podcaster, I feel like you've had plenty of practice at this and you've seen it in action uh, live and digitally you agitate the pain. You talk about the problems 
and that came through by talking about like, really, are we going to talk to other people and say I'm part of the creator economy? Uh, or even the open-ended question that you asked at the very end of that piece. And uh, so to me, that's what makes it a great experience. The way you write inherently brings out some tension, which is what makes any linear listening experience worth listening to. What, what did you notice in that piece, or if you recall the episode overall, that you are intentionally trying to do to make your episodes a good experience? I am... I'm mad in a lot of cases with the, the sub. It, it's yes. so I want my emotion to come out. I'm upset at a lot of the stuff that's going on with the creator and passion economy. I some of the stuff that goes on seems like it's uh, there are people that are trying to build something that just doesn't feel real to me with some of those terms. And it's a lot of that, a lot of funny money going on, which is fine. There's a lot of funny money going on in every industry right now. But my thing, and it, it's, you know, you talk about tension or challenging, I'll call it a point of view. Yeah. Every, every episode that we do, especially this one, needs a strong point of view. Your opportunity as a content creator is to say, here's what's going on, and here's why I think it's important, and here's what I think you should do about it. There's this uh, essay I wrote called the, the Style Spectrum, which is about there's so many missing pieces in, in people's performances on podcasts. And, and it is a performance, but it shouldn't be um, disparate from who you are. It should be the best version of who you are coming through on the microphone. And if you picture just like a vertical uh, bar, let's try to fill up that bar bottom to top. At the bottom, you have curate. You have report. You have gather up the facts and present them. There's a certain service to that. And it's also the basis for anything else you do. You need the facts, of course. You're a total commodity, however, without the next thing you do, which is analysis. And you do this a little bit too on your show, Joe, which is you then connect facts to other facts. You place it in context, right? And here's how this relates to other trends we're seeing. And if you remember, MailChimp did this and ConvertKit did this and on and on and on. Um, so there's report and then there's analyze. But I think the top half of the spectrum is where you want to be. Built on smart facts, smart reporting, and smart analysis is smart opining, smart opinions, having that point of view. And what you're saying is, you know, it's not, here's what you could do. That's analysis, right? Objectively, here's what people do in these scenarios. You're saying, here's what you should do. Of all these 20 options, I think these are the two you need to go with right now. So you have an opinion. But you even hinted at something, and I think you just did it naturally, Joe, which is at the very top of the style spectrum. You fill that bar all the way up from reporting to uh, analysis, to opinion, to inspiration. Saying, exactly what you just said. And we're in this together. Now I'm inspired. Now it's not just an, an, an analyst or someone who's a thought leader or trying to be an influencer saying, I have an opinion, go with me or go with my thoughts. You're saying like, I'm a part of this community. Something's broken. And I'm saying you should do it this way because we're all in this together. Remember, we're defining it. It's called content entrepreneurship, et cetera, et cetera. Joe, I want to take a little bit of a step outside the analysis of your show, the deconstruction of it. And, and just while we're talking about challenging conventional wisdom, um, can we talk about the thing that you and I probably rail against the most publicly, which is this rampant pull that people feel and and rampant uh, behavior people exhibit, which is building their audiences on rented land. Can you just talk about that for a moment? Because I don't think I don't think people know just how dangerous it is. We're all playing with fire in very many ways. Yeah, probably my favorite topic. I think I first started speaking about this in 2012, I think, is my first one where I said, don't build your house on rented land. It was a whole presentation. And so so all platforms have degrees of control. 
And the ones that you have the least amount of control are the ones that, and you, and you build your platform on, that's where I say that's rented land. That's the, that's like, okay, I'm going to build my platform, my base on a Facebook group, uh, on a LinkedIn group, uh, and on YouTube, on Twitch, uh, on uh, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever the case is. Now, by the way, it's not always bad because sometimes you need to lease first. So let's say you could start on YouTube and you build a great subscribership there. And this is, this is, there's so many great case studies on this. Like smosh.com is a great one. Had millions and millions of subscribers on YouTube, but they came to a point where they're like, okay, well, shoot, what do we really have here? Who owns those 2 million subscribers that we have? And they realize, well, we don't have any control. YouTube, they're YouTube subscribers, not ours. YouTube controls the algorithm, which, which means if somebody subscribes to my YouTube channel, they might not see my content if they want to show Jimmy Fallon or Ellen DeGeneres or whatever instead of my content. So what do you have to do? So if you started out renting a platform like a YouTube, you have to convert that to ownership at some point, which means you have to start an email newsletter, a membership site of some kind, something where you have more control, not all control, nothing. You can't control everything all the time, but more control. So what Smosh did is they started to say at the end of their or middle part or end of their videos, they said, look, we're giving away XYZ VIP content, whatever, email newsletter, sign up on our site, Smosh.com. And what they were able to do is convert a lot of those subscribers to what I would call more owned assets and actually start building a media property and had a very, very impressive exit. It's worked out very well for them. So if you look at the PewDiePie's of the world, the Mr. Beasts of the world, those people, you, they get to a point where they're like, oh, why am I helping YouTube build their platform? I should start building mm -hmm. my own media business. And there's a continuum, right? I would put Facebook at the very, very bottom because I cannot stand Facebook and I, I, I don't even want to be on it anymore. And then, but it goes up the continuum. You, you could say TikTok and Snapchat and Twitter. And then at the top, you're looking at email or membership sites. So you want to move up the continuum. So if you start low, it might be great because your audience is already there. But at some point, you're going to have to go up the continuum if you want to build a real business. Because at the end of the day, every media company that has been successful, they have a database of subscribers and they're able to monetize those subscribers and they're able to do that because they have control over that data. If you want to build a long-term sustainable business as a content entrepreneur, you have to move up the chain and own those connections as much as possible. So I want to move to our, our last clip, which is about you, Joe, the talent. Hard to separate you from any of the moments we played because it is a monologue show. Uh, but uh, once we get people to subscribe through the premise, once we get people to stay through our format, our experience, you know, how do you get people to act? Uh, whether that acting is implicit, like I just love this show, it's my favorite, or it's explicit, like I'll take the next step when Joe says, subscribe to The Tilt because now I have a newsletter for content entrepreneurs or uh, go for, for a friend to my podcast or get some creator coin, which you're offering uh, with The Tilt. It all comes back to the relationship that a listener feels with the voice, with the talent, which is a wonderful benefit uh, and, and probably the defining feature of podcasts. So we've pulled out a clip uh, where we're going to talk a little bit more about how you're able to connect more deeply with your audience. Let's roll the clip. 
The majority of new businesses launched today and in the future are and will be content-first, audience-first businesses. These individuals will build massive audiences and monetize those audiences in dozens of ways. They will not only make money like media companies do, but they will sell products and services as well if they wish to. But they won't just do so as a content creator, as a side gig, or as a hobby. And it will be challenging for them to consider themselves part of the creator economy or the passion economy. But they get content and they get entrepreneur. And when their friends and family have no idea what they are doing for a living, those individuals will proudly declare they are content entrepreneurs, which has immediate impact and meaning. Terms are important. With content entrepreneurship becoming the fastest growing new business type, terms are most definitely important. And once we all start using them together, massive positive change will begin to happen. I saw you smile while you're listening to that clip, Joe. Why? I I haven't listened to myself have that much passion about a topic in a long time. So it's just, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very excited about the, about the new direction. And because I, I know so many people out there that are creating content and I look at them and I'm like, oh, if you just did this, if you just did that, of course, they don't, they'll only listen to that or or hear that when they're ready. And sometimes you have to make the mistakes. I mean, you talk about that all the time. Sometimes you have to go through the journey to get to the point where you can find your content tilt or you can find the base that's the right one for you. But no, I, I really feel like, um, you know, in 2018, I took my sabbatical year. And in 2019, I said, I'm going to be a novelist now and wrote the novel. And then, of course, COVID hit. And I'm like, all right. Well, what can I do? I mean, we've got our charity, Orange Effect Foundation. It's very important to me. That's all about speech therapy for kids. I totally believe in that. But I I can do probably more good in the world by helping content creators get jobs for other people, financial security for themselves and their family, get their wonderful positive messages, hopefully, out to more people. So I feel like the more that you know, we can share our message with content entrepreneurs and help them, you know, build their audiences. We can do a lot of really, really good work. So this is what I'm doing. All right, we're, we're going to mix things up in our final segment. We're not going to have a clip for this one. We're going to talk about reinvention because every project when exposed to time can grow stale. So we're going to talk about what you're trying to do to improve the show and uh, whether it's learning from the past or trying things you always aspired to try inside of Content Inc. What are you going to do to keep the show fresh, Joe? I probably want to create a little bit more tension. I, pr- I probably really want to focus on challenging content entrepreneurs more. And it would be around things like maybe you don't need to diversify right away. Maybe you should get off of those social platforms. Maybe you should focus more on ownership. Maybe you should think about different levels of revenue than just YouTube advertising and some other things like that. I just, I, I think that there's a lot of mistakes being made that are easily correctable because they're moving they're moving in directions that they just, they, they don't know the model. If you know how a media company is started and how a media company thrives, and so we're talking about in Content Inc., 
it's a very it's it's a fairly predictable model but most people don't know that so i think i've got i've got to i've got to raise it up a level to make sure that that more people are listening and and just understand that so that they can be successful Joe, some people send swag to their guests as a way to say thank you. Let's be honest. Uh, that just contributes to emissions and trash because it'll sit on your shelf for about a week and then you'll feel like less guilt and throw it away. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to place a small donation in your honor to the Orange Effect Foundation, which is the nonprofit you run, um, as a way of saying thank you for coming on the show. Uh, to you, the listener, the book and the podcast, both named Content Inc. The second edition of the book drops in May and Joe's new organization dedicated to content entrepreneurs or content creators who aspire to be content entrepreneurs is called The Tilt. Head to thetilt.com, get their twice weekly newsletter. I'm on it. I love it. My business benefits because of it. Um, Joe, thank you for everything you're doing for this community of creative people. You too, my friend. Keep doing your thing. I'm following you. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Cherie Turner with original theme music by Cardboard Rocket Chip. You can learn more about my projects, including my newsletter, my books, my course for podcasters, and more at jayacunzo.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series. Castos is the only platform that lets you create both public and private podcasts that integrate into the tools you're already using to manage your online communities. So whether that's a WordPress site, a membership platform, or any of the tools that already work with things like Zapier and other online distribution and community building tools, Castos seamlessly integrates into all of that. Most importantly, they believe in helping you as the creator of a show own your turf instead of building on rented land, something that Joe Polizzi and I both agree with. You can learn more at castos.com. And by the way, if you like this show, send a friend to our website, threeclipspodcast.com. All of these links are in your show notes. And now it's time for our bonus segment. Every episode, we ask our guests for a podcast they'd like to recommend that is not number one in the charts. You're not going to find it at the top of Apple, Spotify, at all. It's a show that they'd like to show some love to. We call this segment Play It Forward. So the show that I listen to every day is called The Breakdown by NLW, Nathaniel Whittemore. And the breakdown is a show about the macro economy and Bitcoin. I've been listening to this podcast almost every day for over a year now. And it is, and NLW does maybe one interview a week, but mostly it's a monologue show. Starts off with, here's the news of the week, and then has a deep take on something. It's actually a little bit similar to what I try to do with Content Inc. But I love that because I get, I totally know what's going on with the macro economy. And I get his point of view. I trust Nathaniel. I've talked to Nathaniel. I would totally, you know, I, you know, if I, I could leave my kid at his house, that kind of trust. I've been listening to him so long. Highly recommend it. It's a daily podcast. It's generally between 10 and 25 minutes unless he has a guest. And, uh, you know, if I'm if I need an update on what's going on with the larger macro economy, I only need to listen to, to NLW. So highly recommend the breakdown from NLW. All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo, and as always, I believe great podcasting is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with me, and I'll talk to you every Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See you.